Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matt Penny is in the building. We're going to chat about Chet Holmgren here a little bit at the top uh, and the game that he played against Amani Bates on ESPN earlier this week. Then we're going to jump in and we're going to talk about some NBA draft sleepers, guys that uh, I would say are more likely to go in the second round than to go in the first round. And guys that both I and Matt think have a chance to really stick in the NBA. So, Matt, it's good to catch up. How's it going, man? I'm glad to be here as always. Basketball's in the air. We're under a week until the draft. We had a couple days after free agency. A few days after that's college basketball, fingers crossed. And like you alluded to a little bit, we get some bizarre world grassroots high school hybrid basketball carryover on cable TV. So it's, uh, we're, we're getting back to basketball, even though I feel the bubble ended a few minutes ago. Well, and we've got, uh, we've got Ricky P coming out on Twitter today saying that they should move the college basketball season back did you have any? i saw uh, that may, may madness yeah do you have any may madness thoughts i don't think it's the worst idea i just when i put on my logistical event management hat on I, I think it's easier said than done to like straight up move the final four and everything they have booked i don't yeah. necessarily think that fans will be part of that but i know the ncaa obviously with with all the kind of shutdowns of 20 plus schools that it's leaked public knowledge it's going to be touch and go here for a while i'm not against it but we're at the mercy of the virus like we have been for a while yeah i will say like i was uh i've been talking to college coaches throughout this process and look i'm not talking to them as much as like jeff goodman is or you know some of the staff at our website the athletic uh but i specifically bring up goodman because i know that he's discussed quite a bit how difficult it is for teams to even really get ready for the season right now because so many of them are just getting shut down because of the rules that say that if a what is it player coach or support staff uh gets covid you have to shut down for 14 days is that the exact uh, right it it varies it varies by conference and that's what kind of like these multi-team exempt tournaments to start the year which traditionally be the the maui classic which is like the bad mowers classic or whatever it is now you're playing the bad boy mowers yeah. junk a new jam <laughs> i love it uh you like a big ass fan tournament uh so anyway if, if you have like a team from the sec a team from the acc a big 12 a big 10 they might all have different conference rules on the type of testing too so a yep. lot of event organizers run into that like okay well the big 12 needs this the big 10 needs this how do we kind of meet in the middle and, and uh, in terms of shutting down i mean there, there's been a lot of articles out there and uh, Danny Hurley was saying about UConn, like he's he's of the same mindset of Rick Pitino. Let's slow down. Our guys aren't ready. We're turning back the faucet on, and, and they haven't played together. A lot of teams are doing like yep. non-contact stuff. Uh, I, I saw New Mexico and New Mexico State football had to like leave the state to do stuff. I'm, I'm guessing basketball will be on the same trajectory. So it's it's just kind of uh, it's a wild time. Yeah, I mean we can put new mexico up in canada and we can let paul weir uh have them become the national team of canada i'm all in they on might that. have to go and play in tampa like the uh, raptors are discussing doing oh god so here here's basically i i was talking to an assistant that is really really smart and his thought was like college basketball can be done it 
will struggle to be done as is just from a macro level you know it's lunacy to try and do this during a global pandemic when you know it's not really even safe enough to have kids on campuses across the country and then just like on a micro level you know you need to take the proper measures and precautions to make sure it can be done safely and you need to do it with uniform decision making across the board which doesn't exist right now and if you're going to shut down these 14 days every single time you know you're going to have injuries even beyond covid and beyond uh all of this so i it sucks like i I want to watch college basketball like i desperately need to watch cade cunningham play basketball this year Uh, he is practices you can sneak in i'm sure there's some some camera that you can watch more stuff they had something him installing their office their offense the other day they showed their first practice but yeah some of it too is with dealing with the different conferences and you're dealing with your out-of-conference games, your guarantee games, if you will, those are just kind of like uh, you're seeing now. Some of them have already been canceled because of COVID-type stuff. Saw Stetson mm-hmm. in Miami was pushed back. Some other teams have said we can't play the first week or two. The The logical move was probably let's just figure out conference play. You're not allowed. I mean, not, you're not allowed, but there's no one that can like unilaterally say this is what we're doing. It has to be conference by conference. And then that's part of the issue. I mean, that's, that's the testing, that's the scheduling. So it's, it's been very crazy, wild out there. Yeah, no question. Yeah, we're only, uh, look, we're only going to get more when people start playing. It's like you see it in college football. I see the NFL. Like it's right. not going to, we're not going to get ahead of it in games play and then it's not going to happen. Like it will. And then it's okay. Are we quarantining X number of days? Are we canceling games? Are we just going to do the NFL method of like, all right, those guys won't play, but we're going to go forward. There's still a lot of questions that need to be answered. Yeah, there really are. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I think it's going to happen. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I think the season is going to exist in some fashion because the NCAA desperately needs the NCAA tournament to happen. Like, it, <laughs> I, I feel confident there'll be a Final Four. I, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if it's a bubble. I don't know if there's fans, but there'll be a Final Four. How many yeah. games teams play before that? I mean, your guess is as good as mine, but I'd be shocked if there's not some iteration of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's talk about Chet Holmgren against Imani Bates. Uh, yes. Matt, this Look, is your space. I'm just going to give you the floor on yeah, Chet Holmgren I, against no, Imani, I, I, Imani I just, Bates. I just, can I just have like a three minute, like behind the music on Chet yes. Holmgren real quick before? I would we, love it. Okay. So I, I, I know a lot about Chet because he plays on the Under Armour circuit. So about three years ago, I first saw Chet. He was a skinny, and can you explain kid. what your uh, like role is in the Under Armour circuit and like what? You sure. Do? I mean, we we kind of like provide the event management of picking the facilities and teams and running the circuit, the schedule, picking kids for our elite camps and events, kind of the gamut of you know from everything from contracts to actually running of the events. So because of that, I'm in the gym a lot and around a lot of our guys. One of whom happens to be Chet. So he. <laughs> It's like almost not real. So he was the six nine kid. He's playing up two age groups to seventeen U. And I first saw him, and honestly, I mean this sincerely, when he ran, you were like afraid that like with with each step he was going to break because he was so skinny. I mean, he looked like a skeleton. He was all skin and bones. And he was on the same team with Jalen Suggs, who's at Gonzaga. Will probably be in the mix to be a lottery pick next year. Uh, the thing with Chet was, despite all this, I, I like to compare it to. 
he was like a dog that was with wolves and he thought he was a wolf. Like he had no idea who he was <laughs> and, and like he didn't care. Like he yeah. played without fear. He threw himself in the lane. He didn't care if he got dunked on. He'd just go right back in the middle of the lane. He didn't back down. So a month later, we had a camp at IMG Academy, like an underclassman camp, and he played against his own age group for the first time. And it just dominated. And you saw it. I thought he was a high major kid. You saw he had some substance to him. He was really good with the counselors. Uh, confident, but not cocky in his game, believed in his ability. So next spring, turns it on as a year older. First game, he's like a dunk and block machine. He's going off the bounce. He's bringing the ball up. And it's like, this kid is the goods, frankly. He has a, a great spring, a great summer. And and we this end this is summer. 2019 you're talking about now, right? Man, year, years are getting all twisted here. But yes, summer of 2019. I'm sorry. Yep. So summer ends, and the last event we do is Steph Curry camp. So he comes, gets invited to Steph Curry camp. And it's the best thing we do because Steph is so good with the kids. It's not just like a photo op and you jump in line and you're, you're doing layups or whatever. Like he's in every drill. He's stopping stuff. He's breaking it down. Use this angle. Decelerate like this. You're going too fast. It's great. So one of the moves he teaches is it's a, a right hand inside out dribble. It's behind the back to the left, then back behind the back from left to right. So they're play, they start running. They get up and down five and five. And Steph guards Chet. It's like, okay, here we go. So like one of the first times down, Chet does the move to Steph Curry. They just taught him, takes one dribble lane and dunks it. And it's like, what is going on? So everyone's going nuts on the sidelines. They jump around. Oh, they're going viral. And this kid yeah. just like takes it in stride. He's like, yeah, whatever. Cool. Sounds good. So now it, everyone's just like blown away with his ability. Obviously still needs weight. So we get hit with this virus. The live periods are canceled. So normally, the live periods are for NCAA coaches to come evaluate our events are in April and July. So April's canceled. July's canceled. But these little events start popping up. And there's a tournament in the Midwest, which has Paolo Bancaro, who's committed to Duke, goes to O'Day High School. Very, very good. Top five kid. Yeah. One of, so one of a, my favorite kids in that class. Yes, I think he would good, probably be number two behind Chet Holmgren for me. We're going we're gonna to talk about him a lot going forward so he he's playing in an event in the midwest kind of like chet's backyard and a, a skills trainer who i won't mention by name tweets at chet who's 17 years old and basically said chet's ducking work he doesn't want to smoke so I mean, anyone who knows it, it's it's cool like we'll, we'll say it was clint it was clint parks, okay. so it's uh, clint parks. yeah yeah and like I, I, like i, I wanna, like clint wanna, by the way yeah, yeah, sure. I, not like I, I think Clint is uh, a generally good dude, and he's a really good trainer, by the way, as well. So like yeah, he's he's got the background with Kawhi and all that. I totally yeah. get it. it. It was a choice on Clint's part. It, it was a choice, <laughs> and it was a bad one. And I'll tell you why. Because anyone who's around Chet knows that like that's all he needs. So Chet responds and says, "Yeah, in for lack of a better term, I live with my grandmother, who's ninety four years old." And my sister is immunodeficient. I'm not playing. Nothing to do about ducking work. So <laughs> he goes out and starts playing the last few weeks. He's he's played in Arizona. He played at Pango's camp. He's playing at uh, West Coast Elite's Elite 100 next weekend, which I'll be at. And he played against Amani Bates on the, the, during this week. So <laughs> he's playing Amani Bates. And the funny thing is, during the game, the announcers are anointing, I'm sorry, Imani, like the best prospect of last decade, which is a debate. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not fighting that. 
Yeah, it, it was like they were not watching the game. Exactly. Took the words out of my mouth. So, Chet, I, I'm laughing and I'm texting other guys with Under Armour affiliations because Chet's just doing Chet stuff. He's blocking shots to the rim with two hands, altering every shot, taking the ball off the rim, driving coast to coast, spinning and dunking, hitting threes in transition. I mean, he beat Amani once right to left, had him on his hip, dunked it. They call timeout. This kid's beating his chest and yelling at the 12 fans in the stands that, like, I'm that dude. And and we're all, like, anyone who knows me just shaking head because, like, this is who this kid is. This isn't, like, a, a one-day thing where he's, like, hyping up, like, a battle against Amani. Like, this is how he's built. And the game ends, and he immediately gets on social media and says, Hey, Amani, great game. You definitely got next. But Clint Park's like, where you at? <laughs> he's- and, then, and, then, and then the compounds the dunk by... Somebody on social media, I think yesterday, yeah, yesterday, tweeted at him, like, Chet looked great. What a performance. We haven't seen many workout videos of him, but good to see he's in, in good shape. And he just responds, I don't do workout videos. Yep. Love it. Love it yeah. so much. So, so that, so that's like the, the down and dirty. And it's also just funny and, and kind of ironic that you're watching this. I'm desperate for like basketball content that's actually live and happening now. And I, I don't know how many NBA people watch or care, but. The ones who did had to be so frustrated that you have arguably two generational basketball players playing and we're splitting hairs over like LaMelo and Ant for the last 18 months with these like Claren Coles. And it's like, I would take either of these guys. And we're criticizing Imani's game a little bit. And he had like, you know, 36 and was hitting threes on the move and dunking and, and doing whatever. Yeah, and like I, I, to be honest, like I just want this to be like a purely positive uh, Chet Holmgren discussion. Like I don't need to get into the Imani Bates stuff. That you know, uh, he looked great. He had he looked great on offense, and he did. like you said, he dropped thirty six. He's a beautiful stroke uh, off the bounce. He's going to be a monster scoring the basketball, and he already is a monster at sixteen years old scoring the basketball. Uh, I am interested to see what his next career steps are uh just because of the way that some things seem to be getting handled in regard to like reclassification or won't he reclassify or you know is he going to go to michigan state like it's i I just have some questions you know what i mean we're pro chat here this is chat cast yeah yeah and with chat like none of that none of those questions exist he is a fucking force because he is just so fearless of everybody. He yeah, does not I, I mean, give I, I mean a the, fuck. the dog and wolf wolf line, but like Lupe Nunez, who who runs Texas Hard Work and now runs John Lucas Elite's UIBL team, he has a, a quote, he has a term they use in Texas. He's an outside dog. He's not a dog to keep in the house. He's an outside dog. And it's just so perfect. Like he he yeah. is an outside dog. He's nuts. Yeah. And like you said, he needs to put on I swear to God, I think it's at least 40 pounds to play like as a center in the NBA and do what he can do affecting shots. Like that game against, uh, Ipsy prep, like he was affecting every single shot. It was, yeah, it was crazy. It it was both ends. It was not just on the offensive end. Like, yeah, he had 32 and 12 and, you know, six blocks or whatever he had. Uh, I don't even remember the numbers off the top of my head. Like, they might have, they were probably something like that. And it wasn't even just the production, it was the defense. It was every single thing that you look for. To do that at the NBA level, you need to be 235 at least. (laughs) 
and oh, it's going to take time. Like two that's, yeah, that's going to be a while. I mean, you laughed. We, I, I said it to you. He's legitimately put on 10 to 15 pounds of muscle during quarantine by working, lifting, eating more. Uh, yeah. I know that doesn't seem reasonable, logical, but I went back and even looked at old photos like he has. So I'm hoping yeah. that you, you do worry about his frame, just like are you able to pack on the pounds? And, and Adam Finkelstein mentioned in the broadcast that he spoke to an NBA scout who said, never worry about the weight. Like their weight program will be able to put pounds on them. But I, I do, obviously, that's the first thing you, you worry about is the durability stuff. And he hasn't had like a ton of injuries like that, but you just, his fearlessness, it, it, it causes pause because it's like, all right, how long is he going to be able to throw his body into lane against NBA fours and fives? Well, you, you always worry about the weight stuff because if a guy puts too much weight on his frame, it leads to further injuries down the road, right? And if he does it too fast, it leads to like joints getting out of whack and right. like ligaments getting out of whack. Like the, the thing that like sticks out in my brain is Darius Miles, like many years ago, getting super jacked that one year yeah, and then just like immediately bulky, getting hurt. Yeah. You, yeah. you just remember like the, the difference of his body from like the Clippers to like the Cavs. It was like obviously apparent. Yep. So I really hope that Chet can keep putting on weight because if he does, he is going to be, he, he's going to be a monster. It's, it, it's, it's everything like, that I look for in a prospect, uh, ball right. handling, shooting, rim protection at the center position, ability to create shots, fearlessness, toughness, like clearly he, he a, not, an like clearly a pretty smart kid too. Yep. And like, yeah, everything that you look for. Like, it's across the board with Chet. And it's Holmberg. funny because we – I say we as just kind of like an overarching basketball media type people overuse unicorn and built different. But this kid, to everything you just said, is as close as we've seen because I remember like last summer or two summers ago, sorry, Jalen Green and Jalen Suggs and a couple of people like, oh, we're the unicorn gang, unicorn fam, because I think a Florida State assistant told Jalen Green he's a unicorn. Jalen Green's very good. He's not a unicorn. He's a 6'5", 6'6", athletic freak show, too. There have been players like Jalen Green for like the last 30 years of basketball. Yeah, but like you see Chet Holmgren, it's like, what is that? And it's uh, it's a unicorn. It's as close as you go get. Like, I I don't want to put that that burden, that stamp, that tag on him, but – like that's stuff you don't see every five, 10, 15 years. And I've already started thinking about like the NBA stuff. Like, okay, we don't have to go too crazy here, but like if you put him with a, a stronger center, he can kind of play both four and five, not have to guard fives all the time. Like there, there's going to be ways to use him, but he definitely has to bulk up. Yeah. I'll, I'll be interested to see what his lateral mobility would look like playing against like on an island with guards in the NBA. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that I'm convinced yet that he can play the four in like an effective manner at the NBA level. No. And, and what he is good at is, he which is fine, by the playing. way, like that's not me like trashing him. That's like, no, you know, it's just no. like a real question because real he's seven concern. foot tall and like, it's hard to play as a four when you're seven foot tall in the NBA. Yeah, and he has exceptional timing on his jumps too. So like even when he does get beat, like he, he knows how to recover a little bit and get back to the rim. I mean, there was a play, <clears throat> I think it was Amani, went to like finish on the other side of the rim and like Chet went with him and blocked him. Yep. So 
Anyway, he's nasty. I, I love him. It's, it's going to be fun to watch his development the next few years. He's absolutely nasty. I agree with you. Let's take a quick uh, commercial break here, and we'll be back to do some sleeper discussions for the 2020 NBA draft. All right, and we're back here on the Game Theory Podcast. Uh, Matt, I'm just very sorry that you didn't get to participate in the Coors Light commercial that uh, oh. I have to I have to record here. Yeah, I'm um, I'm participating in my own way. I, one day it'll be a commercial, <laughs> but I will I will partici- participate in having a, a few icy Coors Lights in the draft next week. So doing more of this and kind of pre gaming in our own way, it's uh, it all makes sense. God, I wish I could have a Coors Light during the draft. That would be so nice. Um, Wait, whoa, whoa, hold on. Why can't you? <laughs> the sheer tonnage of work that I have to do that night gets okay. extensive. Right. We'll, we'll get into it at the end, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, let's let's talk about some sleepers. So Matt and I are each going to name uh, four or five names. We'll see. I don't want to go more than like an hour this episode, and we've already gone 20 minutes. So let's uh, let's get started here. And I will give you the floor first to give your first name. Good. I, I just want to start by saying that I'm, I'm excited to do this because we, I think we played the hits the last few pods. Like we did the mock. We did the high-low comp. This is more like the the hardcore draft nerds, enthusiasts like us. And I just yeah. remember as, as a quick aside, like a few years ago, I went to a Billy Joel concert. And he really plays the hits. He knows his audience. And when he's about to play a more obscure song, he told the crowd, like, if you're not diehard fans, it's a good time to go to the bathroom and get a drink. So I, I hope you guys stick around. Don't do that on us. Dive into Sam's crazy brain of 15 hours of film a day as he watches. He's giving me the floor first, which is great because he picked his names first. Uh, he's still yeah, I guess I did. Do, yeah, I did you dirty Sam. like that, didn't I? <laughs> no, it's good. We have a little carryover. But anyway, we got to get moving here. I think that we talked about online. There's probably about 40. I, I said 45. You said 49 guys that could be first round-ish picks. So because of that... Guaranteed deals uh, for me. Correct. Yeah, I'm sorry. So I'm going first with a guy that has been on some first-round boards, but I don't see him there as much as often, and that's Daniel Aturu from Minnesota. So he's been mentioned by some picks that ended the first round. He's in that cluster of bigs with Xavier Tillman, Zeke Naji, Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Smith, but I, I don't know if he's necessarily separate himself from that pack, so I wanted to cover him here. Six foot ten, seven foot two wingspan. He's in tremendous shape. If you've seen any of the workout videos, he spent the last three and a half months working out and training in Santa Barbara. He averaged twenty points, eleven rebounds, two and a half blocks per game in the Big Ten. He shot fifty six percent for the field. He doubled his point total from his freshman and sophomore year. He actually took fifty two threes and shot 37%, which shows maybe he can be a little bit respectable from there down the line, stretch out the floor. But there were a lot of those no, 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 yes, yes, yes threes that he would hit. Like, it wasn't necessarily in the flow of the offense where he thought, like, this is a good time to take a three. Well, yeah, and l- let me let me be clear on that. Like, I don't really blame him for that. Uh, I blame the fact that Richard Patino did not create an offense that took advantage of Daniel Aturu being able to shoot threes because Daniel Aturu can fucking shoot threes. Sure. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Uh, just to kind of finish my 30 second email here. He, he plays through and embraces contact well. He gets a free throw line. He shot seven free throws per game. He can be, so just to go back to Richard Patino offense a little bit. They did some like high elbow stuff where they have both bigs up there and they'd hit the high post. Uh, he can like do a dribble handoff, whatever, dribble into something else, set the high ball screen. There's actually a set where they hit him and he gets a ball screen from the elbow. He can be a battering ram at times. I want him to like slow down a little bit. I mean, he did average like, I think close to three turnovers a game, but I'm comfortable enough with him doing some stuff out there. He's good in the mid range. He, he's good with short jumpers when he's left open, can face up a little bit. He knows how to use his body, seals and spins his man up the lane. I really like his energy and his drive. I, I do want him to slow down a little bit and be under control, but uh, I'm a believer that he can stick based on his athleticism and the way he runs the floor. So let me let me bring up the questions that I have with the Turu. Maybe this will be the way that we do it. Like the person who picks the player gives the pitch, and then the other person like asks because these guys are all points, second round points, picks yeah, for a reason. Yeah, yeah exactly. Point, like counterpoint. You know, yeah, this is ben yeah. Affleck asks the questions. Suspect. Yeah. 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 Uh, so pretty terrible passer. Like, let's just be honest. Like, mm. doesn't see the floor well. Doesn't. Uh, like really even read where the double teams came from. Well, like the number of turnovers he had this year was pretty staggering. Hi. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I believe he posted a one to three assist to turnover ratio. Um, concern. How, how concerned are you? Concerned. Yes. If you watch some more stuff, he does have possessions though, where he'll catch and you can see him mentally slow down, have some patience, take a deep breath before he does anything. When he catches and tries to go right away, like it can be shaky. Yep. Defensively, I thought he was like really bad in pick and roll, like really, really stiff and takes like hop steps uh, that guys take advantage of and uh, really just has to like he like strides backward too fast mm-hmm. and then he gets hit with step backs because he's like a he's a real like load athlete, like he's a load leaper. Uh, so he can't really contest on these. Uh, you know, pick and pop guys while also playing a drop, which he has to play. So how concerned are you with pick and roll defense? I, I feel like this is a, a Senate hearing. Uh, I'm, I'm somewhat concerned. Yes, but uh, I'll kind of circle back and say like how much of that is actually the coaching part of it. Not as sure. a, a shot at all to his college stuff, but we're talking about, okay, patience passing out of the post, how to guard a pick and roll, not to go a million miles per hour for getting a ball screen. Don't shoot threes when you shouldn't shoot threes out of the flow of the offense. Those are all kind of, to me, somewhat correctable things that aren't glaring mistakes, things that you can't fix. Okay, I'm in. Uh, yeah, that makes and, sense. Like, there you go. Perfect. Like, I have Daniel Latouri as a top 40 player in the class. Uh, yeah, I, right. Exactly. Yeah, like, I, I really think that he is going to protect the rim, and I think he's going to shoot threes. Uh, those are two things that are pretty valuable. Like... I really do have a lot of concern about the pick and roll stuff. Uh, I, I, I hesitate to see how he's going to be a, I don't want to say like, there's a world where he gets a passable in the pick and roll defensively, but he's really, really not very good there right now. Like it's, it's a problem for me. If you get passable and then get his energy on yep. the glass, a little bit of scoring and he's, he doesn't really like, 
when you watch, he doesn't really like, fly off the ground for dunks either. He's good at no. spinning and pump faking and just getting his guy moving, get to the free throw line. If he can do that and convert a little bit, there's there's rotational minutes there. Yeah. No, I, I think he is a rotational big man, I would say. Um all right, let's uh let's go to someone else. All right, you're up, hot seat. All right. So I'm gonna give you my first name. And I could have gone with like Peyton Pritchard or Malachi Flynn or you know some of these other guards that I think have a chance to go in the first round. This guy, I think I would be surprised if he went in the first round. And that is Sam Merrill. I've been a Sam Merrill fan basically from the jump here during the draft cycle. I have him as a top 40 player. He is, for my money... I think he is the best shooter in this draft class. I think he is legitimately the best shooter. He does it from every situation. He can run off of screens. He can play a little bit of point guard and play as like at least a secondary ball handler, take side ball screens and pull up behind ball screens. Uh, he can take relocation threes after a heavy closeout. Uh, he is skilled enough to be able to just attack closeouts and he's a skilled enough passer to where he can make reads off of that. He's an incredibly intelligent, high IQ player. Uh, I get that there are defensive concerns, but I think those are somewhat mitigated by him being six foot five. Where are you at with Sam Merrill? Uh, we talked about it before. I mean, there's probably something in the water in Utah with him and Jake Toulson, right? Don't you don't you steal my other sleepers? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not going to mention. <laughs> no, Jake I'm just. Toulson, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just saying shooting wise. Yeah, no, I'm uh, that he's become. I think kind of a more trendyish name with the shooting. I mean, we we beat the bubble and the Duncan Robinson thing over the head, but people make the parallels about okay, Duncan was. A little bit older too when he's drafted. Sam obviously had some big games, but yeah, defensively and people had the the same red flags about Duncan. It, it's just like the quickness defensively. I just don't know who he necessarily guards full time in the NBA on the floor. Yeah, so it's worth mentioning that Utah State often did put him like on the opposing team's best perimeter player. Like the second game that they played, San Diego State. He's the guy guarding Malachi Flynn. Like he is, uh, he is not afraid to take on those tough assignments. He's smart. He doesn't really, uh, he doesn't have fear. I would say like he doesn't, he's not beaten before he goes out there. Like there are some defenders who just can't defend because they're like, they know that they're liabilities. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to be that way. And he's smart. He makes the right rotations. He's just really good. Like the game that I keep going back to is not even one from this year. It's one from last year where he played Arizona state and he had a matchup against Lou Dort, like the whole game. And that dude just ran Lou Dort around every single imaginable screen and made him look bad. And this guy, Lou Dort, was guarding James Harden in the playoffs and was ha- right, has right, to right. deal with like all of these very, very difficult on-ball matchups. And Sam Merrill just made him look like bad. He made him look – it honestly made me question whether or not Lou Dort was a good enough off-ball defender to play at the NBA level. Uh Obviously, that's been proven wrong, and I had Lou Dort as a first-round pick, so like I feel vindicated by the way this has all gone down, that both him and Sam Merrill are very good. But, I mean, he dropped 27 in a matchup 
purely against Lou Dort. Uh, in uh, I believe it was in Las Lou, Vegas. Lou Dort was just motivated after signing a questionable contract and decided he had to be the best defender in the bubble. But yeah, I, I, I think for Sam too, like they ran a lot of action for him too. Like yep. this, just kind of like the point counterpoint is like how much action is really going to be. All right, Sam, you get on the floor for eight minutes. Like, is he going to get more than one screen to to free up? And, and the size, like I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like, but with the age too, and, and being twenty four years old like i don't think it, it's kind of a it's not a finished product but there's not necessarily like the upside play of he's going to get better doing one thing or the other so let me let me bring this one to you when he played at utah state he was like a let's call it a 10 plus uh percent body fat guy something like that uh he he was not always like in elite elite like professional shape like he will be whenever he gets to a professional system do we think there's any athletic upside from sam merrill by getting into an nba scheme and like you know maybe a team sends him to like p3 or something like that i think a little bit i, I wouldn't put too much stock into it if, if he can bump bump it whatever five ten percent and i think he'd be happy but i don't think he's going to become this mega athlete based on interviews that that he's had and, and talked to NBA teams he definitely believes in himself he believes in his ability and we saw that he wants to take the big shot at the end of the game he he's going to slide up boards because we are watching so much more tape and people are looking for specialists especially shooters so I I get the the intrigue with him despite being a little bit older despite not rebounding got a great clip despite defensively you, you can make some arguments that he's not necessarily ready to guard NBA combos or twos. And look, I would make that argument. I don't think he's right. ready to guard uh, NBA ones and twos. I, I am generally going to bet on the guy that I think is the best shooter in a draft class, though. And his functionality and versatility off of different actions, I think, is just very different in comparison to most of the guys that we call uh elite level shooters in this class like i, I would yeah. bet on like i know that aaron naismith shot 52 percent from three i would bet on sam merrill being a better shooter than aaron naismith in the nba oh yeah i'm just i'm like processing that that statement like i, I like it it's, it's kind of like the same parallel of you know, obviously very different positions but okay just based on the analytics test precious and paul reed are, are similar precious's projected lottery pick paul reed's in like the 40 to 50s i mean obviously the aaron has more of a i'd say athletic upside and i think defensively he can get there a little bit more yep aaron, but, aaron yeah, should the, the, be the, ranked ahead of sam merrill yeah, yeah, yeah. but 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 this but this just strictly shooting guy yeah, i understand that yeah all right give me your second guy penny second guy uh, again, probably a year ago, this this might be crazy to say he's a sleeper, but I'm going Jordan Dwora from Louisville. Okay, give me a give so, me a pitch. Yeah, I, I got a pitch. It's extensive, but I'll I'll try my best to limit it. So he flirted, as we know, staying with the draft last last year, and based on his stock and how the season ended, maybe stays in despite he had an injury, so couldn't fully go through the combine. He had a bigger microscope on his game this year than, than previous years and maybe a little bit unnecessarily so. He's a preseason first team all American. He averaged 18 points and eight rebounds a game. His three point percentage actually increased from 
37% to 40% with similar volume. He had some big games. He had 37 points versus BC. He had 32 against Florida State when Devin Vassell had 14 and Patrick Williams had two. And then he gets criticized for some stinkers. I mean, he was three for 12 versus Duke for six points. Back-to-back games in February versus Georgia Tech and Clemson, he went one for six and one for five. But, like, it's important to note that the defense he was getting, he was getting face guarded. He was getting trapped the most touches. Georgia Tech ran a box of one on the whole game. He was two for 10 versus Kentucky with a large contingent of NBA decision makers there, which didn't help his case, which, again, Emmanuel Quickly and, and Ashton Hagens were taking turns face guarding and trapping him. He is intriguing because he struggled as being the focal point of scouting reports. So I won't say that he'll, that'll never be the case in the NBA, but it's highly unlikely. I mean, he had to really earn all of his buckets this year. So not being the focus of a scouting report, not having box one coverage will allow him to get his feet set, knock down open jumpers. And if you saw the, the recent workout video that came out, he hit 34 right corner threes in a row. Like it was a game of Papa shot. So I, I like his size. I like his body. He knows how to use it mid range. Really rebounds well. I am a little worried about the defense and guarding in space, but I, I keep getting drawn back to – I was on social media, and for grassroots basketball, I coached Max Hooper, who played his last season at Oakland for Greg Campy. And and he wrote about trying to be at your absolute peak at one skill. Like, round out the rest of your game, but just be an elite shooter. And, and Max famously didn't take a two-point shot all year. Took all threes. and And he talked about how – Duncan Robinson says the same thing on JJ Reddick's podcast, like just be at the absolute top of your game at what the top of your game is and everything else will work out. So in terms of a shooter and able to hit shots, I am a believer in Jordan or I do just want to shout out Max Hooper. What a circuitous journey for Max Hooper over All his over. career. Harvard, Harvard, St. John's, to Oakland, literally, Oakland. like you said, did not take a single two-point shot uh, in his final year what, what at you, Oakland. What, what he said, too, was that he was encouraged. I mean, most times, it's it's a defense closeout, runs you off the line, shot fake, one step in. He was encouraged to shot fake, sidestep, take a three. Right, right. Because Campy Again, because, is Because genius, what he's saying is, like, that, that's what he's good at. Like, he, he's a three-point shooter who shoot threes. Yep. How worried are you about the Jordan Wara defense and Max Hooper's defense if you still have uh, takes on Max Hooper? <laughs> I love Max Hooper. He, he, he can't defend either. Yeah, I'm a little <laughs> bit w- worried about him. If he gets in the right defensive scheme, I think you can hide him a little bit too. Yeah. And at Louisville, did I, I thought, did a really good job using him this year as kind of this offensively, he'd set like the, the high ball screen and yep. pick and pop and make plays off that. So slip the screen uh, most of the time. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Kind of like touch screen and slip off it. As the game changes, the game evolves. Like it, he could be a quote unquote big in a, in a smaller lineup, not the five, but can stretch the floor a little bit versus slower footed defenders. But yeah, guarding it. I'm, I'm not. And I think frankly, that's, that's where he is in the forties or so. And just having these games where your critics will say he shied away from the moment where I would kind of counter and say, yes, it, in in spurts, but it was more so a byproduct of like to beat Louisville, you have to cut the head off the snake and like this is the guy. Yep. I'm with that. Like I have him at 42. 
I 42 am, is great. Yeah, I generally think he should get a guaranteed deal. Uh, the shooting is real. I buy him as a spot shooter. I want to see him do a little bit more off of movement than yeah, what not, he did not, not, not often a ton. at Louisville. Yeah, but I think the release is hyper quick. And I do think that he's going to be able to get shots off and knock down, you know, from the corners, from, you know, right at the break from the NBA line and have no problems with that. And when you talk to people too around him, he's, he's a confident kid. He also yep. believes, he believes in his game. He, he knows he's going to knock down and hit shots. He did, he just ran into a, a buzzsaw defensively in scouting reports all year long. And that comes with being on the number one team in the nation. That comes with having a bigger microscope, your first team all-american and having expectations too okay so from one guy who did not defend this year really to another guy who did not defend this year really can we just cut to the chase and every guy will just start with what do you think about his defense (laughs) yeah there there are a lot of those guys although there are a couple on my list that i like particularly because they are defenders but uh my guy is going to be mason jones okay and it took me a while to come around on Mason Jones. I am starting to really buy into like the super positive trajectory that Mason Jones is on in terms of his career. Cause there is arguably like no one that is on a faster positive trajectory right now than Mason Jones in this draft. How much of the Mason Jones like background do you know? Uh, a little bit. I, I know that his brother, Matt, won a national championship playing at Duke. And yep. it's funny because their their shots are a little bit different. But if you stood them next to each other and they both shot, you'd be like, you guys are related to the way you kind of yeah. like release a little bit. Uh, so, I think his sister played Texas A&M. He yep. went to link here prep for a year. I think he played a year at Juco. I want to say he was a little overweight, out of shape for a while. But yep. that's kind of like the depth of my background. So... His brother Matt and his sister Jordan are the first sibling McDonald's All-Americans ever, right? And he was growing up literally while this was happening, uh, while they were this incredible basketball family. And when he was young, he was on those like bullshit Clark Francis lists as like the best players like in his age group, right? I, I think we were too. Like everyone was. I think top <laughs> top, top 3,000 in the country. I agree. Um, so he got... Like, I I don't know if it was the pressure or, you know, whatever it was, he got he stopped playing basketball and got very overweight. Uh, He was up over like 270 pounds before his senior year of high school and stopped playing big guard. Yeah. Yeah. Stopped playing basketball until his senior year of high school. He decides that he wants to play as a senior and starts to, like, get into shape. He gets down to, like, 260 by the end of his senior year and then averages like 15 points a game as a senior. Like he's just a fucking natural, right? Goes to the prep year, drops like 30 more pounds, does a Juco year, mm-hmm. gets down to like 210 and like really starts to blow up a little bit on the Juco level. Goes to Arkansas, immediately starts for Arkansas, averages 14 a night in the SEC. And Musselman gets hired there and they build like, I don't know that their original plan was to build the entire offense around Mason Jones versus Isaiah Joe, but it got to the point where they figured out they had to build this entire offense around Mason Jones and 
to go from being a 270 pound senior in high school playing high level competitive basketball for the first time in your life to becoming the SEC player of the year five years later feels impressive to me, right? It feels like that is something that should not happen. At the end, of the I'm day. a sucker for a good story, so I, I love the background. That sounds like a a TV movie one day, and, and the kid. I mean, he did it, right. He had, he had monster numbers. He had 41 versus Tulsa. He had 40 against Auburn. 38 versus Mississippi State. 37 versus Tennessee. <clears throat> I like the trajectory as well, but he really forced some tough shots too. <laughs> and I, yeah. I mean, my 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 kind of question is, and you said it about muscle men is he Up likes to play green fast. Light. Yeah, exactly. The greenest of green lights. Uh, he likes to play fast. Are, are we worried that his numbers are also somewhat inflated and a byproduct of the, the fast paced must bust system and usage? Both of them, I think, because yeah, he's not going right. to play this role at the NBA level. No. Um, but here's what I like. So a, he's just like fearless on the court. Like he mm-hmm. plays like he is the like fullest of fullest confidence in himself. He plays really hard. Like he's very, very competitive. Like he doesn't play hard defensively, but he's clearly very competitive. Active. Yeah. Yeah. He's really, he makes decisive decisions. Like as soon as he sees an angle, like even before receiving the ball, if he sees a driving angle, he's going to go. He has kind of like, in like I'm gonna bring up the name Luka Doncic. I don't mean to compare oh, God. the guy that I have at number 43 <laughs> on my draft board to Luka Doncic, yeah, but as a generational point guard. But yes, what I will say is that Luka does this thing. Part of what makes Luka so ridiculous is that he has incredibly fluid hips and doesn't have to change speeds to change directions. Right? Yes. Mason Jones kind of has that ability. That's why I think he's so deceptive. And despite the fact that he is like not an athlete at all, like you might have a better vertical leap than Mason Jones. Oh, once upon a time, I got bad IT bands, but yeah. Yeah, you're screwed then. But he gets by guys, I think, because he doesn't have to change speeds to change directions. And he also knows how to change speeds in addition to not having to change speed to change direction. So he also knows how to get really low. Like that's something that like a lot of ball handlers just at the college level are so fast and they're able to just like kind of blow by. Right. He knows how to get leverage on guys and to be able to just like get low and get past them by getting low and driving and using his strength, which he still is retained likely in part from being like a little bit overweight. And it's really, really impressive. Like the way that he can get separation, I don't know that it's going to translate. Like I, I really don't know that it's going to translate, but he has great touch. He can shoot off the dribble. He can shoot off the catch. He finishes around the basket because he's so strong and can absorb contact. I, I kind of think that he has a chance to like really just be a good basketball player at the NBA yeah. level. <laughs> I'd argue that he's best kind of when he has that head of steam off the dribble too. Like he yep. liked those top isolation type plays and he yep. really gets to the free throw line. He averages like nine attempts per game and shoots over 80%. And Arkansas I, like, did a really good job of getting him the ball on the move so that he right. could get downhill quicker. Exactly. I think that a team the, that the takes quick, him quick rip through. Yeah. Yeah. A team that takes him needs to do that. He also did a really good job of using his momentum off of the catch to drive. 
right? Yeah. Like that, the ball well would put. lead him some way and he would go that way because he needs that little extra bit of acceleration to be able to get by guys, but he knows how to do that. So it, it's also <sighs> within himself though, a little bit like he did. He, what do he average? Like 3.2 turnovers a game. Like that's got to be yeah. limited. You, you want to take all yep. the best parts of like the, the craziness, the drive, the activity, Yep. And, and almost put it in a box so it's not like as as must bussy for the NBA because like yeah. that's just not necessarily gonna translate. Yeah, at the end of the day, I'm just like at the point where I'm not betting against him figuring it out. Like he has come from being an overweight high school senior who did not play basketball throughout high school. <laughs> what just happened? I I think my chair just snapped mid mid Mason Jones. I was so excited I leaned back and I leaned all the way back. Do you have or do you have a sitting position right now? This in podcast history. Yeah, I'm a gamer. I'm I'm de- now I'm just leaning. I'm good. Keep going. I did this a couple of days ago, by the way. Is it just like a bullshit office chair? Oh, not even. It's like a um it's like a, a lawn chair that you drink beers out of. Keep going. <laughs> Mason Jones. I, I'm just, I'm done betting against him. He's gone from like overweight high school senior to, uh, being the SEC player of the year in five years, like in a senior that did not play high school basketball before being a senior. It, it's just hard for me to bet against that trajectory at the end of the day. Yeah. It, it's also hard for a guy that, that didn't really play high school basketball and quit. But if you're a betting man and he's, he's kind of overcome stuff in the past, it's hard to say that definitively like this isn't going to work and I, I know you've this is one of the guys you've talked about you really dove into all the film in the yeah. hours of downtime so this isn't just like a, a clicky clip type evaluation yeah no and the kind of guys that i like to bet on in the second round are the guys that are like the ones who are going to work and it's very clear that he is going to work and continue to work to like get to where he wants to go um i will say that like nba teams have told me that like he's gone into interviews and is like i am going to be an all-star which like yep you know love that confidence but you know that that might turn some it's happened the second round just not often to be frank like it might turn teams off to be frank but i'm okay like it's hard for me to look at someone like that who is on this ridiculous positive trajectory and go, you're wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. He hasn't been wrong in a while. So if it keeps going that way, all-star, I, I'm not, I'm not really there yet. Uh, activity and I'm certainly not there driving, either. finishing. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think so. He was the second guy you mentioned. So if he were, if he were the, the all-star, you might've said him first. Like, I want this guy to be my sleeper. Okay. Let's, uh, let's jump in. All right, next guy for me. I'm going Skylar Mays, LSU. Love it. Yeah, so he was – I like to say he was like the quarterback for LSU. I really like him. I would love him if he was more one than two, which he really isn't yet despite playing most of that in high school. LSU kind of had like two twos on the floor at the same time with him and Javante Smart, who I don't think is a point guard either. I like yeah. his size at 6'4", 17, 5, and 3, and – uh during the season and then shot 55% from the field, 39 from three, 85% from free throw line and a 62% true shooting percentage. Also had big games at 30 against Auburn, 28 against Arkansas, though your boy Mason Jones had 36. 
I like the way he uses screens, not Luca by any means, but he's good at stopping, kind of decelerating, using a hang dribble to create his own space. Yep. He plays with this poise and this calm. He doesn't force the action. He kind of lets the game come to him. He'll make you pay if you go under screens. He's not this super athlete at the rim, but he, he knows how to use his body. He'll spin in a lane, try to finish opposite. It can be sometimes an adventure when he gets a lane, what you're going to get. And very good defender on the ball, off, off the charts character in interviews as we've covered, but he just, he doesn't really get too sped up. I mean, I, there was some games I watch where it gets close, it gets crazy. He'll pull the ball out, get everyone settled, make a good decision, call it a play, direct traffic. I like him as a guy in the 40s who could figure it out, especially if he can transition more to being point guardy than combo or two. Yeah, I talked to a coach in the SEC who said that Skylar Mays was just like his favorite player that they okay. played this yeah. year. Um, and it was because of the poise. Like you never get him sped up and he makes the right decision almost every single time. Like I know that he had like two turnovers a game or whatever, but it's out of like having to be aggressive because they didn't have anyone else to really create shots at like a super high level. Right. And he's the guy that you trust in the backcourt to, to do that and you live with some of those. And if you watch games, there would be, like you said, end of games where they needed a shot and he may force one just because he had to. Like there was nobody else who was going to be able to create to get a shot off at the buzzer to, to tie the game or go for the win. And, and you had to live with those there. But it was the role that he was kind of set up for. So uh, a couple other things on Skyler. You know, father is a doctor. Mother is a yeah. nurse. Uh, 4.0 grade point average or damn near a 4.0 grade point average at LSU. Majored in pre-med and kinesiology and was twice a uh, national academic All-American at LSU. So hyper intelligent, elite level character kid. Don't have to worry about anything that he's going to do off the court i kind of like him as well i have him at 45 i would not be surprised if he exceeded that position drastically yeah i'm with that let's go okay rapid fire you're up next for me is going to be who this is a uh this is a tough one here this is a i'm gonna go further down the board I'm going to go n- too weird. I'm not going to go too weird. I'm going to go Nate okay. Hinton. Okay. That's not weird. And the reason that I love Nate Hinton is that there is no one who plays harder on a possession by possession basis than Nate Hinton. He is the consummate effort guy. I have him at 62. So, like, I don't even have him in my top 60. So, I would probably end up not being the person to draft Nate Hinton. I also would probably not bet against Nate Hinton. Uh, chases every loose ball. Chases his man on defense. Great rebounder. Shoots 39% from three. Can defend fours. Can defend ones. Like, he might not be good enough is an athlete and he might not be good enough as like a shooter coming off of movement to really be an NBA player. But man, I just kind of love the way that he plays. And again, if I'm betting on guys in the second round, I really like to bet on guys that are just going to work 
more than anyone else. And it's very clear that he has a very translatable skill set as a six foot five guy, 210 pounds, has an NBA ready frame, has an NBA level level skill with his motor and defense and is already pretty good as a shooter. Like he's not an elite shooter. He's a pretty good shooter at 39% from three on medium volume, I would say. So look again, like I have Nate Hinton at 62. He's a priority two way guy for me, but I really like Nate Hinton and I want to give him some love. Yeah, and six nine wingspan too. I mean, his shot he does have a high release. He's not shy to take him, even when he is on the move. I've just he is an inconsistent scorer though. I mean, there were a lot of if you're just box score watching and not watching games, there were a lot of kind of like single digit scoring games in that league. Like that scares me. Translatable to the NBA level, and then also it's like okay. Is he a three? Is he a four? Do we care? He can definitely defend, but is he going to give you enough on the offensive end? I, I agree with you with how hard he plays. He flies all over the court. He averaged, I think, 11 points per game, almost nine rebounds in 30 minutes, which is very telling to it at how hard he hits the offensive glass. I don't think his numbers will be that high because you're playing with bigger, stronger guys in the NBA, but you like that if the guy is a little bit smaller – at six foot five and he has the nine rebounds a game that he's willing to mix it up to. Okay. You're up next. Who is I'm your next. fourth? Player? Yeah. This is, so this is kind of like a, a, an undrafted outside the box one. I'm going with Kenyon Martin jr. I like the idea of signing him. If he goes undrafted, it's worth to take a shot. So he went to, Sierra Canyon High School. He's actually teammates with Cassius Stanley, who's at Duke and projected, I'm, I'm guessing, somewhere in your top 40 or so. And Scotty Pippen Jr. I have uh, I have Cassius at 49, it looks like. Okay. So, Great. Yeah. So, played with Oakland Soldiers on the UIBL. He signed with Vanderbilt, almost went overseas, but instead he decided to go to IMG Academy for a prep year. Full disclosure, prior to that, I. I just wasn't really a fan when he said he was going to play professionally. I, I didn't see it. I didn't get it. Then I saw him play at the National Prep Showcase in person. And not that he was a different player, but he just did more. It was like on those other teams, he didn't show as much. He is a, a crazy athlete. He is only six 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 seven without, I would argue, a, a true position. Like his dad, he's very tough. He'll battle. He needs to develop a shot, which has gotten better if he's ever going to stick with an NBA team. I've just kind of uh, get our, our recency bubble bias is crazy, but there were similar questions with a guy like Derek Jones out of UNLV. Not as yeah. athletic, but what position is he? How does it work? He just kind of flies around. And with the exception of the bubble, he was in the heat rotation for most of the year. And we, we see these kind of interchangeable three four tough athletic guys where it, it's worth to me a, a flyer or a two-way to see okay let, let's play some g league games and see if the toughness comes through and he's able to make an impact yeah the nba teams i've talked to are kind of interested in him as like a combo four five almost uh I, he's small for a five like even for a five i think that yeah. might be a little tough but so look, he's, look, that's, that's why we're doing it. We're, we're down the, we're down the chart. This is, we're late in the game to turn the lights on at the bar. Like we got to figure it out. So yeah, six, seven wingspan, six, seven, uh, standing or six, seven wingspan, 
with six seven height. I'm sorry, uh, my brain stopped functioning for a second there. Uh, six seven tall, six seven wingspan, six seven and across yeah. six seven across the board. Uh, very powerful athlete though. I think is the thing. Like it's not just that he is. He doesn't play small, despite the fact that he has the size of a wing. He's probably going to play more of the four than the five, for sure. Like, he's going to have to do that. But he's a freaky, like, body control, power explosiveness athlete in a real way. Uh, Off both feet, too. One and two feet jumper, too. One and two foot jumper. Yep. And the fun thing with him is, like, ambidextrous shot blocker, but loves the shot block uh with his left hand loves it which is funny because it's the same with dunking like he loves to dunk with his left hand too yeah and he's and, 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 and for your, people your, who don't point, know he's he's, he's right handed correct yeah and, and yeah. he like tries to punish the rim when he has an opportunity to yeah. like it's not athletic oh here's a dunk it's like he tries to rip the the rim off yeah i get it with kenyon i'm kind of kj is an interesting player for me uh, again more of a priority two-way guy for me than yeah, right. a elite level uh, prospect necessarily, but a priority two way that I'm pretty interested in. And speaking of athletes and being priority two way guys, Saban Lee is going to be my next guy. Just the most absurd athlete, I think, as a lead guard in this class. Uh, he looks like he is in turbocharge mode every single second that he's out on the court uh can jump off of one foot can jump off of two feet uh very very fluid hips changing direction has crazy burst going toward the basket like it's hard to stay in front of him because he is so fast i think that that guy is gonna have no problems getting separation at the nba level i have questions about what happens after it because he turned the ball over quite a bit he's not like right he gets separation then what yeah yeah not like a true point guard necessarily and that like he's not elite as a passer he's really good at like keeping his eyes toward the basket and keeping uh his eyes open for teammates like diving toward the basket, but he doesn't really look out yet with his vision. It's all straight toward the rim. Uh, unselfish, but like doesn't see everything yet. Right. Finishes well at the basket, 58.3% in half court settings, which is really, really high for a guard specifically. I really worry about the jump shot, but I think oh, it's yeah. getting that, better. That, that, that's where, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that's the thing. It's like he gets separation. He can fly off the pick and roll. The NBA is a pick and roll league. As we know, the, guy, the guys are just going to go under and dare him to shoot all day long. And I think that's a hundred percent true. But if, if yeah. you're taking like a developmental guy, I'm probably taking the crazy athlete who at least has shown a semblance of a jumper. Like he's not a good jump shooter, but he shot 32% from three this year on a ton of pull-ups where every team had to sell out to stop him. Right. Yes. And it had to sell out because his, frankly, his team wasn't very good either. So it's like, you know, you know what they're running. It's like, do him. Go ahead. Right. So I think that like priority to a guy, guy that I would want on my roster in the G league for a year or two, to see if he can develop that jump shot because if he does he is a backup point guard like for sure i think because he is so fast and so able to get that separation and and pair that with the people around him or or people you talk to he's a great kid he's great work ethic he's mentally tough obviously he's athletic the the shot is just like 
the biggest hole. I like his burst. You fly off the pick and roll. Maybe it's a little bit different. He can get downhill, but it's still it's it's glaring right now to me. I, I, I'm more hesitant about it than you are, but I, I understand your your play for the upside peel. Yeah, and you know, comes from like crazy athletic uh, bloodlines. Like his dad, his dad was amply uh, the former running back in the what, what would that be? The Ram from the Rams is where I remember him when I was younger. Okay. It's right? a good pull. Yeah, he he still coaches on the grassroots circuit too, so he's still around. His fa- his father Amp is a grassroots coach. I didn't even know that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's oh, in Arizona. Yeah, love it, love it. Um, averaged twenty two points in his final fifteen games. I really genuinely believe if he would have gone back to school, we would be talking about him as a and gotten better he would have had a real shot to go in the first round next year. Mm, he was wow. okay. really blossoming late late in the year. Uh, I'll say at the very least, he'd have a lot of NBA eyes on him. First rounds in, in next year's draft may be tough, but he definitely yeah. get evaluated as such. All right. So we have one more each. Yeah, I Penny. got one more. I, I really want to steal yours, but I'm not going to. No, go out. ahead. Go ahead. I, I, have a, I have another guy I want to talk about, so go ahead. I was going to go Tyshawn, but I can go Jessup. No, go Tyshawn, go Tyshawn Alexander. Let's go. Okay. Tyshawn Alexander. That was like one of the first names you sent. I was deflating because I, I wanted to cover You know him a lot know more his, about his background. I so do. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, so he played for Team Charlotte on the Under Armour circuit for Jeff McGinnis, who's all about tough defense and kind of like helps shape that mentality that he has. They won the Under Armour championship with the backcourt of him and Devon Dotson. The next year, you had those two, plus your boy Nate Hinton and Aaron Wiggins. That's a pretty damn good grassroots team. It's amazing. Uh, I love it. Yeah. No, it is. Good fun factoid. He's working out now with Najee Marshall and Josh Hall. I like the way he moves away from the ball. He cuts the lane with man sleep, sneaks to the corner on drives and spots. He's probably best at catch and shoot. He's admittedly said that he needs to work on more facilitating ball handling, those type of things. He didn't have to really do that at Creighton, obviously, with Marcus Zagorowski there. He played more point in high school. I don't know if he'll ever really get there, and I I worry how he can create his own shot. But another kid who says the right things is going to work, is going to get better. And I feel that as as teams watched more film on him, he's kind of like sneaked up a few spots in the draft, too. Yeah, I've got him as my number one top priority two-way guy. Um, okay. Very much on the borderline of being a guarantee guy for me. I've gone back and forth on it. I worry a little bit about the fact that with guys like this, you need them to be good at playing up the lineup defensively. Mm-hmm. And he is not amazing at that. He's much better dealing with guards than he yes, is totally. going up the lineup. Like Patrick Beverly can battle going up the lineup. Uh, Chris Dunn can really battle going up the lineup. I worry about if Tyshawn can similarly do that because I think that a lot of where he derives value is probably going to have to be as like a three and D like guard basically. Well, uh, and, and right and right now, that's probably what he's best suited for. Right. And and like he has a really smart game too. And I, I, yep. I alluded to it. If you watch Creighton's stuff, they have really good ball movement. But he's 
a high-level guy moving away from the ball, cutting, screening, not standing still. And then he just kind of like pops up in the corner. You're like, how the hell did he get here? And he's wide open. And here's a three. So yeah. if you're running that kind of stylistically stuff with NBA sets and, and he can move and just kind of sneak into the cracks of the defense, he'll be able to score a little bit too. Yep. Okay. Last guy. Man, I've I've got two names. I don't know which one I want to narrow it down to. Maybe I'll just mention them both. Uh, two four-year guards that are just elite-level college players. The first one is Marcus Howard. And oh, okay, I have every concern that he has no chance defensively. Uh, every single possible concern that you can mention, I'm there. Right. He is the best pull-up shooter in college basketball since Stephen Curry. Like, that that's a good case, I feel like, at the yeah, end of the day. Yeah, I was like, is this an exclamation point or a gavel knock? Or, like, is this, <laughs> yeah, you're, 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 this is your megaphone moment right here. It's, um, uh, what, it's the, I can see, like, Jason Siegel in my brain going, it's the only argument I need, Sean. <laughs> and, like, I can't remember what movie it's from i think it's like bad teacher or something like that um he's really just in pick and rolls he is unbelievable as a shooter he he can do everything that you want like you get him the ball out on the break marquette sent a ton of like crazy like drag screens and transition just to get him free and he'd pop immediately uh you know the They'd run him off of pin downs. They'd run him off of baseline screens. They'd run him off of flare screens. He can do all that stuff. Uh, he can hit step back threes. He loves the step back to his left. He can hit step backs to his right, though, and sidestep threes like it's nothing. Uh, can go fire around screens to the left, fire around screens to the right. He can relocate from three. He's just an unbelievable shooter. He averaged like nine three-point attempts per game over the course of the last three years and shot 41% on those shots. He is an unbelievable shooter. There is no... And like in the NBA now, I get that he has a seven foot seven standing reach. He is not going to be able to defend anyone, I don't think. No, no. I, I don't think he has much of a chance and, and, on that end. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't say he, like, he checked out defensively either, but if you looked at the makeup of Marquette's team last year, they... You say like Jordan Noir like needed to score like Marcus Howard like needed to score like twenty seven a game like yep. they needed to so like all that action is, is true and it's because like the Hausers transfer they get the injury bug a little bit like he's their he's their guy so he would also kind of take I think his numbers could be a little bit better he would be forced to maybe shoot a few times a game maybe two or three feet longer than he wanted to just because he knew when the defense got set. He wasn't going to get a look at all. He'd be double teamed. They trap the handoffs, all that type of thing. Well, uh, and I'll, the, I'll give you, I'll give you an example of that. As a freshman, he shot fifty five percent from three <laughs> when it yeah. was uh, when he was like the secondary option. Look, he was a very clear starter at Marquette, but you know he's a thirteen point a game guy because they had Andrew Rousey and Jawan Johnson, and they had the big guy the who was the big white kid from Indiana. Oh, you're you're stumping me here. I'm gonna have to Google this. Oh, oh, it was 2016-17 Marquette, that would be Luke Fisher, is who I'm talking Luke about. Luke Fisher, transfer, yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, just 
an utterly elite shooter. And I posed this question to John Hollinger a couple of days ago. And he said he didn't really agree with me necessarily, but um, he said it was something that he would ask in the draft room. How much better is Tyrell Terry than Marcus Howard? Oh, is or is uh, Tyrell Terry better than Marcus Howard realistically? As an NBA player, I'm going to say hard yes. I am too. And I think a big part of it is like he has five inches of standing reach. He's going to have a much better chance defensively to at least hold yeah. up. He's 19. Yep. He is uh, a better passer and like has much better feel for the game than Marcus does. But I don't think it's like a chasm between the two either. And by how, the way, how, t- how, t- how, how tall the Marcus measure are that? Do we know? He's 5'11 with a six foot wingspan. So and, are you not, not not to get too crazy, but are you a Miles yeah. Powell believer then too? I'm not because I don't think okay. Miles is nearly as an elite a shooter as Marcus Howard. No, no, no. Is. I'm, I'm just saying in, ter- yeah. in terms of size and scoring and shooting and filling up yeah. a little bit. Like people have have said somewhat similar things about you, you need shooters in the NBA. I mean, most of the guys we're talking about now are elite-ish shooters. type shooters. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So by the way, Marcus Howard turned 21 in March. Uh, Tyrell Terry, who I have at 20 on my board. Like, I'm not making the case that Marcus Howard is better than Tyrell Terry. I don't think he is. But Tyrell Terry, born September 28th, 2000, and he's 20. So there's, like, only 18 months of age difference between those two, despite the fact that one's a freshman and one's a senior. Yeah, I I, I get it. I, mean, I think with Tyrell, he's going to – he has put on some weight. <clears throat> there, there's just more – Upside there, I think, with him, with the, a little bit more size, doing a little bit more off the dribble. I'm not ever worried about Marcus Howard shooting or, or scoring. It, it's going to be harder, too, in the NBA when you're playing against bigger, longer guards. Uh, your your two guard could be 6'6 with a 6'10 wingspan. I mean, he has a quick release, but they're going to be up in his, his grill just because they know he doesn't necessarily want to come off the dribble and, and get into the trees in the middle of the lane. But... Yeah, it's 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 hard to to knock his production. He obviously filled it up significantly for Marquette, but it's uh that's tough. That that one's a tough one for me. Yeah. And I get it. I totally 100% get it. I have him at 57. I really just wanted to talk about him and like make people remember this guy is fucking unbelievable as a shooter. Unbelie- unbelievable college season, yeah. Yeah. And if you if I told you Marcus Howard is one of the ten best shooters on planet Earth, could you refute that? No, I mean we could we could get into an argument, but I don't think so. And, and his his story isn't as crazy as your Mason Jones stuff. But I, I also remember back in high school people saying like, "Oh, he's too small. Like, he can't go right. there." Like I know he's ranked, but he, he that that stuff is never going to be able to work at at Marquette. Sure enough, it did every year. Right, every year he was unbelievable. So, he, so he's a uh, prove the doubters wrong guy too all uh, he he's all basketball he's all working out he's always in the gym yep great kid great character yeah uh, and you can find a million videos of him working out on youtube he started like a youtube channel for the workout stuff yeah he's he's the best we we uh are marcus howard fans on this podcast fans here. um the other guy i wanted to mention is cassius winston because i'm starting to hear that like nba teams aren't quite as high on him as well, it, it, it depends too right it's like Cassius Winston, Peyton Pritchard, a couple of those names, like, oh, they have a first round promise or end of the first round. But then others, it's like you're saying, alluding to as well. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like, I, I just like, 
kind of hear that Cassius is like the, the teams like aren't as excited maybe about Cassius as Peyton Pritchard and Malachi Flynn and all these guys. And I, I get it because he's a bad athlete. We can just say it. He's not a good athlete. He had very, very poor testing at the combine. He is six foot one. He doesn't have a great like frame at all. I do not care. That motherfucker can play basketball. Oh, he's like, a hooper. Yeah, exactly. He's a hooper. Doesn't look like he should be. Defensively, it's like, what are we doing here? But pick and roll stuff and, and feel and making reads against the defense, what they give him, it's it's a very high level. Yeah. I'm just – I – and he's hyper competitive, wants to win, It like very, very high level kid, great leader, very smart, graduated Michigan State in three years. Like, I that's a kid that I'm betting on pretty easily i I will happily take him if i was the sixers i would take him every single time at 34 or 36 if he's on the board and would not think twice i I thought you were gonna say if he slides to to 50 ish but yeah no No. it depends on what they do what they do early take another point guard but they go a different direction then go point there it's he'll be in the conversation no they, they need they need more than one point guard on that roster i would take regardless of who they take at 21 i would take cassius winston at 34 36 like well you, you have a, a crazy management structure restructuring now too so who knows what direction they're gonna go no 100 percent. like i have no idea what daryl's gonna do uh it's gonna be fascinating but yeah i am a i am a cassius winston believer even though again i think he's gonna really struggle defensively i don't think that that's wrong but i mean but he's like, not gonna surprise either of us if and when he makes it no I, I think i will be surprised if he doesn't make it to be honest there's worse point guards in the nba for sure like he is like monte morris is really good he is better than monte morris i think monte have a little bit more size little bit little bit little bit yeah cassius has like a six seven wingspan though and yeah, monte's that's a smaller, l- that's the that's smaller guard mold, yeah. Yeah, and Monte's a little bit, a uh, little bit more athletic than Cassius. Yeah, is. a little more shifty too. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, unbelievable passer, unbelievable pull up shooter. Like out of the 150 players to take at least 100 pull ups last year, uh, he finished 17th in pull-up jump shooting with a 51.4 effective field goal percentage. Uh, that was third best among all draft prospects. He, he runs around ball screens. He runs around off ball screens because they played him off ball occasionally. Like he's never off balance. He's always poised. I'm yeah. I'm betting on Cassius Winston every time. Every yeah. Time. It's funny. It's funny because all these guards that we've talked about ad nauseum for the last however many months, they all have just like one thing. Like, man, if he just, play a little defense if you just get into lane a little bit if you put together you can say it's about anybody put together all these guards would be like this perfect like number 18 pick but like they're all kind of just have like a little bit of a deficiency that we can't figure out yep yep um all right i think that's all we got here penny did you want to you wanted to complain to me about not drinking cores light during draft uh week no that that was my complaint i mean i asked you you're, you're across the globe i'm guessing you're doing a couple all-nighters but i'm just curious of your actual draft setup i will be so here's i don't watch the draft i just follow it on twitter what why because if i watch it there i have to write so much that there are too many distractions 
That's like saying you don't watch the movie, you read up like the, the synopsis of the plot online. You like hold on for every word. The worst, the worst part is I, like I want to keep up on Twitter for trades and this and that, but I hate spoilers. Like I hate yeah. seeing the pick and not the guy walk out. So I would the last few years, like before the Celtics pick, I just like put my phone away to not peek because it's hard not to. But to say, to say that you don't watch the draft based on us getting to know each other, I think it's on brand, but I think it's a wild move. Dude, I know. I really would love to watch it. Like, I can't emphasize the nut, that this enough. This is insane. I would love... You're the draft expert on The Athletic, and you don't watch the draft. What I, other profession is that possible? It's it's, it's amazing. This is so good. I, so I really... Good. But I, like, I literally just can't, because I have too much to do. Like, and here's the other thing, too. Like, you know, at least 10 times in the first round, like, I get a text message from someone like, hey, like, this pick is going here. Or like, hey, I think that this is going to happen. Like, not enough for me to report them. And frankly, like, I don't love spoiling draft picks as it is, because I don't, like, like, I get it. Not to disparage anyone that does it, um, because that's their jobs, right? Like, it's not really, yeah, yeah, it's not really my job, I don't think, to do that. Um, But yeah, like, it's... I have too much going on that night to where I have to write and write very quickly a lot of the time. So it's easier for me to just have Twitter open, see the pick, and then just like start writing off of the pick. Oh, so good. So you don't get to see like any of the fashion. Like, no, who's I don't. Over, who's over the house. This is so good. What do you do for work? Uh, cover the NBA draft. Do you watch the draft? No. No. <laughs> it kind of, like, it kind of uh, sucks. Oh, like, over here. This is, this is too good. I, I uh, honestly, I this. this is awesome. I, would, I can't wait I would to, to text you during the draft and not get a response. Just be like, you watching? Like, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm writing. I have, no, but I like, have 150,000 word, uh, recap coming out tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. No, but like, I will like respond because like, I have my texts open because people are texting me like, what's happening? Uh, like, I'll text people like, hey, why is X guy falling down the board? You know, why reason? Right. And I have to be looking at my texts constantly. I have to be looking at Twitter. If I add another screen to it, it's just going to be overload. And I can't, nah, like, I've tried I, to I, do it too. I understand your reasoning. I just hope as like an outside observer and people listen to that, they're like, this is crazy. No, it is. It's absolutely fucking bonkers. It is. It makes no sense whatsoever. And you but, can't even have a, a, a delicious, cold, icy, cold Coors Light during it. Just God. all the pieces are crazy. God, shout out Coors Light, man. Shout out Coors shout Light, out, always. Shout out Indochino. Shout out. Uh, <laughs> what is our who's our third sponsor here? Uh, why can't I remember that off the top of my head? You better get it and put it in. I'm going to have to vamp here for a second uh, because my brain has stopped functioning because I have like 90 different things going on right now. Uh, even all while the, we all, talk, all here. the windows are open on your desktop and, and luckily in four to five days, you're going to be able to close all of them. It'll feel nice. <laughs> and then free agency is two days later. So I was going to say, out. that's the yeah. problem. Free agency is two days later. So yeah. I am uh, just in an insatiable end uh, bat- or an unstoppable end. Like it never will end for me. Uh, DraftKings is the other sponsor. I'm sorry. Near and dear to my heart, actually. DraftKings and couldn't remember it. That's where my mental capacity is at right now because on Monday, you guys will get my 2020 NBA draft guide. Uh, it will come out on the athletic. It is, it's essentially operating as my final big board. Um, tiers, breakdowns, strengths, weaknesses, everything that you could possibly want is in this thing. Uh, please go listen, subscribe, uh, 
you know, go read that NBA draft guide uh, because it is a it's a work of love, I would say, that I did in the midst of five and a half weeks while literally moving across the planet. <laughs> it, yeah, it's something you picked up every time you had a, a free moment. And I think if you start reading it on Monday at 9 a.m., if you go nonstop, you should be able to finish the book by the time the draft starts. So it's great. One of our editors read the whole thing today, and I was like, how did you do that? I don't understand it. That is amazing. Uh, Penny, tell the people what you've got going on in your life. What do I got going on in my life? I'm going to go out and evaluate this weekend, go to the Elite 100, see Chet Holmgren, see Jaden Hardy, Nate Biddle, Brandon Huntley-Hatfield. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. I'll have some Zingers draft night, and I'm actually going to watch the draft. So I'm, I'm looking very forward to that because this has been a long, long, long journey to get here. Penny is ahead of me uh, in that process. So thanks for listening. We'll be back uh, probably in a couple of days. I'm probably going to try and wrangle on Tony Jones and maybe a couple other people before the draft. But until next time, we'll talk soon.